Welcome everyone, I'm Holly Bott, and this is From Surviving to Living, the podcast where raw stories of transformation are told. This is not just a podcast, it's the power of change. God is interested in you. My story is not fiction. I'm a woman, a felon, a sex offender. I did hard time. I am so awed by Jesus, I will risk my reputation and talk about it. He transformed me. He will do that for you. I trust him. I hope you do too. Are you hurting? Are you sick of just surviving? I was too. How does one really, truly live? God causes transformation. It is possible for everyone, thank God. I never saw it coming. Let me tell you how it happens. Get ready for your adventure of faith and life beyond bars. This is From Surviving to Living. Even after many years, I remember the moment I felt fractured. I had become familiar with suffering, but now life took an unexpected plunge. Join me on a raw and authentic journey through the prison system, exploring themes of despair, separation, and the relentless pursuit of hope. Where do you turn when faced with profound self-doubt? Have you faced a rock bottom moment? And how can you learn about the amazing life God has waiting for you right now? This is A Padded Room, The Pickle Suit. Suicide Watch in Shakopee takes place in the SEG unit. While inmates are usually taken to SEG for disciplinary reasons, SEG is also used for suicide watch and health concerns. It was October. 2011. Seven months had slid by since I'd arrived at prison. I felt my life had hit rock bottom when I entered prison. No. So far, I had been given a painful life lesson. A new place to live with ugly new clothes in a laundry bag. Rock bottom can be redefined. How do you describe rock bottom? Has there been a time in your life when you felt a need to redefine it? In the months since orientation, I had become sick from the constant drama. My sense of security had been eroded. I found myself with competing feelings of disbelief and agitation over the reality of my situation. Simple things like TV commercials showing a happy family together easily blindsided me. I missed my family so much. My stress became so acute, I began wetting my bed at night. At least my children are safe, I told myself. They were living with my parents. Everything was about to change though, like a disaster movie.
My husband's mental health really declined the year before I went to prison. He lost his job, started drinking really heavily, and did drugs. He became suicidal and threatening. For the safety of myself and our children, I was given an order for protection, which is like a restraining order. My husband was allowed supervised visits, and I passed custody on to my parents when I was incarcerated. I felt good knowing my children were safe with my parents. One Thursday night in October, I called my parents and a new nightmare began. Your husband told us he's moving to Washington, my dad said. He's picking the kids up on Monday and taking them with him. Taken completely off guard, I shouted, What? You can't let him do that. Call the police if he shows up. Trembling started in my stomach and began working its way out towards my arms and legs. Tensing, I tried to stop the shaking I knew was coming. Dad, don't let him take them. I pleaded. Now I was shivering from head to toe, teeth chattering like I was in a blizzard without a coat. What can we do to stop him? My dad asked. He's been here already saying horrible things. He threatened to kill us, shoot us right where we stand, and says he'd kill you too if he could. I was horrified. I hung up the phone and ran to the day room. Other women here must have some advice. My mind was racing with ideas, but none of them were usable. I felt so hopeless. Could I call the police myself? Slamming open kitchen cupboards, I grabbed for phone books. Throwing them on a table, I traced over the pages, wondering, would the police accept a phone call from prison? I scribbled numbers on a paper and charged back down the hallway to a phone. I attacked the keypad. Listening to an automated message, I waited for the phone call to be accepted. Finally, a police officer answered the line, how can I help you today? I raced out, yes, my husband is going to kidnap my children. I have a restraining order. My dad says my husband is threatening to kill everyone. Please help. Don't worry, she said. We will help your parents. Have them call me. Feeling a little better, I did as she told and waited for Monday to come. But Monday, the nightmare came true. He took the kids, my dad told me. We called the police, but they were busy and didn't come until 40 minutes after he was gone. I'm sorry. Sick. I called my husband's phone immediately. I struggled to dial the numbers. The keypad was all jumbled. My fingers were turning numb. My husband accepted the call but simply passed the phone to one of our kids. Hi, Mom. Tommy answered excitedly, breathlessly. We're on our way to Washington. Adventure sang in his voice. I could hear wind blowing through the open windows of their vehicle, cars passing as he struggled to be heard over the noise. Someone called for, Timmy, hey, roll up your window, in the background. My stomach lurched. I thought I might throw up. I cast around in my mind for what to say, but came up empty. My hesitation must have said something all by itself. Tommy's enthusiasm changed to a more calming, reasonable tone. Dad asked us if we wanted to go. It's not like we can't come back if we don't like it. It'll be fine, Mom, he soothed. I sucked in a sob. Tommy passed the phone to Lucas. I don't even remember what I said. Fifteen minutes came and went. I called back and back and back, desperate to turn that car around, to stop this nightmare. I pleaded. I begged. I became a pathetic mess. Finally, in utter desperation, with an act of immature manipulation, I threw out, Fine, I'm going to kill myself then. I dropped the phone, dead inside, and went to my room. I was on a train. 
a speeding bullet, a horror show that was gaining speed and getting uglier by the minute. I was used to the illusion of feeling in control. I enjoyed micromanaging, being bossy, being a know-it-all, and that's so attractive, isn't it? I liked being in charge and calling the shots. Well, I certainly wasn't very good at it. Look where it had gotten me. My choices had led to an increasing awareness that I knew much less than I thought. I wasn't in charge. I did not call the shots. And my last-ditch efforts to save the ship were pathetic at best. Sometime later, 15 minutes, maybe hours, a guard knocked on my door. I opened it and she asked if I would come with her. In flip-flop sandals, I slumped after her out of Tubman and across the court, courtyard to the core building. Passing the OCO desk, I dully noticed Ashley waiting for medical. We continued deeper into the building and I was shown into offices I'd never seen before. I was ushered by a guard into a deep cushioned seat and told to wait. A little later, another guard entered and took a chair. Several other guards arrived and remained standing. I would later learn the seated guard was the watch commander. With a look of concern, he said, Your husband called us. He says you are threatening to kill yourself. Is that true? I turned a flat stare in his direction. I felt nothing. I was wilted, suffocated, past caring. A small table stretched between us. My eyes dropped to the candy dish. Colorful wrappers captured my attention. I want to help you. The man continued, have you taken any pills? Did you do anything to hurt yourself? I raised my eyes to his face again, then studied my hands in my lap. Nothing matters. My face felt numb. Breathing seemed a wasted effort. I sighed. We all waited. Finally, looking up at the guards in the door, the watch commander echoed my sigh, and with a shrug, he said, take her to Seg. I don't know what else to do with her. Suddenly, hands gripped my arms, lifting me from the chair. Handcuffs were clicked into place behind my back. Cold metal pressed against my wrists, and guards clutched each of my biceps and directed me out of the room down the long walk to Seg. Again, we passed medical. Ashley's face dropped open in shock as I whisked by her with my escort. I felt mentally fractured from Wikipedia. Acute stress disorder, ASD, also known as acute stress reaction or psychological shock, is a response to a terrifying, traumatic, or surprising experience. The DSM-4 specifies that acute stress disorder must be accompanied by the presence of dissociative symptoms, which differentiates it from PTSD. Dissociative symptoms include a sense of numbing or detachment from emotional reactions, a sense of physical detachment, like seeing yourself from another perspective, or decreased awareness of your surroundings, or even the perception that one's environment is unreal or dreamlike. This describes my next several days, and so does the word broken. I was asked to dress in a pickle suit. The pickle suit is sometimes called a banana suit by inmates. It's green or yellow. It's a gown made of thickly quilted material that is shapeless and formless. Its purpose is to keep the wearer from being naked while preventing any opportunity for harming yourself. I was not allowed to wear anything else. The room's furniture was just like a jail cell. 
everything bolted to the floor, including the toilet, and I was not allowed to have toilet paper or anything else. I could ask for toilet paper a couple squares at a time. No books were allowed, not a thing. The room had a camera, and I was watched day and night. I was not permitted underwear, which was unfortunate as I had my period. I had to bleed on myself, the pickle suit, and the room. It's just how it was. The days passed in a fog for me. Time had no meaning. Everything was meaningless. I felt I understood nothing. I was in a daze. Sometimes a nurse would appear at the door with meds. I was told by staff to come to the door. I would stand there stupidly. I was passed a cup by staff and would still stand there, unaware I was holding a cup. I would be told by staff to put water in the cup and I would just nod, not making any connection that I needed a cup and water because I was taking meds. Sometimes I slept, other times I tried to think about life. I came to no conclusions about anything. I knew nothing for certain anymore. I stared at the wall or the ceiling and it seemed like I was staring through a broken lens, like the entire world had cracked and gone wrong. Jagged seams and cracks split down the middle and ruined my understanding of everything. I wondered, was everything I had ever known been wrong? I was shaken to my core. I no longer trusted myself. I no longer trusted or believed that I knew my parents. I no longer understood the world or how to move in it. Eventually I came to myself and I wanted to know how are my children doing? How is my family doing? In short, I wanted out of SEG. I want to pause here for a minute because it's important to stop and realize that even when we come to the end of ourselves, we don't find God by discovering we are not Him or that we cannot do His job ourselves. This episode caused me to recognize my need more fully, but I had yet to meet the Master. I had heard lots about Him and believed this knowledge, eh, that was good enough. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. I put in a request to leave SEG and thought I'd be returning to my regular room and job shortly. That did not happen. Instead, to my surprise, the prison accused me of selling drugs, and I was disciplined with another 14 days in SEG, although in this time in regular SEG clothing. Well, I was certainly getting the full tour. I had not been selling drugs, but they were accusing me of selling my antidepressants and I hadn't been taking them exactly as prescribed, which is against the rules. Prior to incarceration, I had been prescribed a very high dose of an antidepressant, higher than recommended. The prison doctors chose to prescribe a lower dose when I arrived, and I was not feeling well on this lower dose. 
Considering all my recent stresses, I'd decided to take matters into my own hands. In the three days before my seg visit, I'd increased my dose one pill each day. And this is a rule violation. Released from seg two weeks later, the prison doctor did agree to raise my dose again. This did not solve my problems. There were more challenges to come. I was still hurtling towards rock bottom. I think about this experience all these years later. I had never felt more broken. I've never felt as broken since, despite suffering worse. But as I sat in that cell, desperate for answers, one thing I didn't do was pray. I didn't really know Jesus or how to talk with him. Years later, I started reading the Bible, and when I had read it just a little, I came across this story. A man asks Jesus to save his son, who is very sick. He says to Jesus, And a demon often throws him into the fire and into water, intending to kill him. But Jesus, if you can do anything, do have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, You say to me, If you can do anything? Why, all things are possible to him who believes. And at once, the father of the boy gave an eager, piercing, inarticulate cry with tears. And he said, Lord, I believe, constantly help my weakness of faith. That's in Mark 9, verses 22 through 24. When I read it, I felt the same as that father. What about you? That deep yearning inside, the eager, piercing cry with tears, pleading to Jesus, constantly help me with my unbelief, my weakness of faith. Do you know how Jesus responded? He healed that man's son. Listener, God looks forward to spending time with you. The Bible says in Ephesians, for we are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God planned beforehand for us, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Are you excited to find out what God has been planning for you? Are you eager to lead the good life that he has made ready for you? Dear Jesus, I pray for the person listening right now, and I pray for me, that you will encourage us and lead us to a life rich in conversation with you. Show them, show me, the amazing impact and power of prayer with you. Help us to start today. Amen. Look for more episodes that inspire at hollybot.me. Until next time, remember, your story is never over. God's grace is always waiting to rewrite it. This is From Surviving to Living. <laughs>